Hello, everyone. Welcome to Future Imagine, a podcast dedicated to future thinking. I'm Lian Kwan, your host for today. I lead Foresight for China within the Global Foresight team at Mars Wrigley. It's 2022 now. If you ask 10 people what is metaverse, you will probably get five different versions of it, while the other five tell you they are not quite sure. But if you ask what is virtual human or digital avatar, they could probably be more confident about their answer. I have three brilliant guests to join us today, and we are going to talk about future of virtual human. My name is Jongsok Jay Lee, but you can just call me Jay. CEO of NeighborZ USA. Starting with the fun fact, I used to be a K hip hop R and B producer singer, so I know a little bit of what it's like to be an independent creator. I got into tech in 2009 with the birth of kind of mobile, ranging from like computer vision graphics technologies to music centric social media network, and now I'm heading the Zapato US team. I'm Caroline So. I'm the managing director of Amwood Shanghai. We are a brand design agency in China. So what we do is to give strategy to brands and how they grow. So most clients they talk about, hey, help me recruit Gen Z consumers to love our brand, to buy our products. So this conversation about metaverse, virtual humans, actually have been quite the buzzwords for marketers in China since Meta happened. So everyone is trying to get into like, oh, let's create an NFT, you know. But then the questions always come back to, so what does it do for the brand? What is the objective? Otherwise, why are we investing this money? Hi, my name is Christopher Travers. I'm the co-founder and chief creative officer of Offbeat Media Group, and I built VirtualHumans.org. When I was in university, I co-founded an anonymous social media platform. I was much like. Facebook, but with an anonymous toggle on many of the comments in the posts, and、uh, it really met the fancy of people trying to connect with their campus in a unique way. And that set the groundwork to go on to launch an anonymous photo sharing platform for groups of any size. So just again and again, have been working, I would say, in this idea of like pseudonymity, anonymity as a tool. So it's almost like a counterculture kind of social network. And now I believe that we're coming full circle. Around to avatars as the norm in the future. We kind of had a moment there where everyone wanted to share everything they were doing, but it's coming full circle to people maybe don't want to be as public. And I view avatars as a huge potential towards that. And now exploring that even further at Offbeat Media Group, which is an innovative media company that I've co-founded. I also built VirtualHumans.org around documenting other people thinking in this way. It is probably too soon to define what the metaverse is anyway, because the space is still being built. However, it is such an exciting place that many brands have already started to experiment and create new ways to engage with their fans and consumer in the metaverse or a version of it. Jay, as you have experience working in both gaming and music industry, can you tell us what is your version of metaverse? Yeah, like you said, a lot of people have a different definition or perspective on metaverse. Some people are talking about format, fidelity of content. You know, because 
the advance of technology has been evolving from adding higher fidelity from text to image to video and you know real time live and now that's kind of flowing into like 3D animation gaming or more interactivity and other technologies too like you know decentralization technologies NFT cryptocurrency blockchain so we can view it from the format fidelity technologies like that angle but what i'm personally more interested is seeing this kind of societal power dynamic changes one of the things that social media did is social media enable some of the creators to be ad spot sellers so you know previously in the web 1 era like everybody who can just consume the content not much of writing you know capability or there's no way they could get exposure but social media made the connection happen so if you have stories to share you can find the kind of niche but global audiences so now you used to be the target of the ad so consumers audience but some of them now became a person who can sell ad spots in their content and i think that the power shift is becoming turning this content creators who are ad sellers into a brand owners so yesterday of ad target became ad spot sellers and ad spot sellers of yesterday are becoming brand ip owners that's how i view cuz if you think about whether it's a virtual or actual you know your camera taken persona images in order to make money you have to promote other corporate brands in your content that's the kind of basic way i mean there's other ways uh, of course like donation or creating your merch but in a sense this influencer content creators kind of get stuck in this position that they have to promote others in order to pay their bills but what metaverse enables like roblox or zapeto and other platforms you can create your own brand and then you can turn your creative vision into the sellable items not just creating cookie cutter merch but you can turn your creative vision into the 3d product so i think giving this power to creators so they they could go beyond content creators in the position of promoting others but they could become the brand owners and ip owners themselves Christopher what about you what is your version of metaverse Yeah it's hard because I don't see if there's any one definition for the metaverse that would properly summate it which is a good thing right because it's a lot of things and that doesn't sound like a great answer but the best way I can sum it up is that it's the next iteration of what the internet sought out to do which was connect people in enriching ways and so that said just because the medium is becoming 3D people are now using this as an opportunity to put a new name on it but to me it's really a huge iteration on the internet that already exists however there's new ethoses that are at play such as prioritizing things like decentralization which is really at the roots of the internet as well so people are using this opportunity of a new internet to also reprioritize some of the foundational elements that were first sought after in building the internet but however simultaneously it's a lasso that's going around video games it's going around virtual worlds it's going around video conferencing all these more enriching virtual immersive experiences are defined as the metaverse as a whole and a lot of people use metaverse in the plural and they say oh there's all these metaverses out there we don't go and say well there's all these internets out there like the commonly referred to singular thing is the internet and i believe that if you think about all the spaces that are disparate and eventually connected they make up the metaverse right so disney will launch a virtual experience that makes up the metaverse zepedo is part of the metaverse and that's how i think about it so that said it's almost like on a timeline the same timeline where the word internet is on it 
metaverse is now on it and moving forward it might be something different fundamentally on the internet we are all humans and the mediums and the forms that we choose to take can be fluid and a call back to the start of the internet is it was like IRC. We were all using pseudonyms and AIM screen names to engage with each other, right? And now we move to using our actual profile photo, but we're reeling back from that. And if anything, we're not going to something new. We're going back to something old and familiar, which is this idea of a pseudonym. So Caroline, a lot of brand has already taken the metaverse idea to engage their consumer in China. So what's your take on metaverse? You know, metaverse is about connecting people and then people interact with each other. So when they interact with each other, there has to be, you know, stuff that they do. For example, they share a meal in the virtual space. And maybe they watch a concert, they play a video game together. So there has to be something that they do that allows them to interact. So when these experiences, they can get as close to real life as possible, then I think that experience in the metaverse will be like really enriched because right now, I think it's no really such metaverse per se that's already built or exists in China. When people say metaverse, when brands say metaverse, it's more like, let's do something in the virtual reality. But I think it's all in a good way because it's the beginning of the tech development. So until tech development actually allows everyone to create a 3D avatar of their own, and where there is such a space where you know different realms of virtual activities can be connected, then I think only then we can say like there may be really a metaverse that is like maybe a 3D version of the internet right now. We have an episode called Into the Metaverse host by Joe earlier this year. She mentioned there are a lot of confusion and news turn coming along with the metaverse and we name a few already. And she named that virtual reality and digital avatar is actually a simpler and more well understood term amongst the others. I think she is right that digital avatar is not a new concept, but then when I realized the opportunity that digital avatar or the virtual human can bring as technology evolve, I think it deserves a fresh new look into it. So Christopher, as you have been researching virtual human for so long, can you give us an overview on what is virtual human and what makes you so excited about the topic? So a virtual human is very straightforward. It's just like a representation of a character. But the key thing is that character has to have some level of personality. And at that point, you start to turn a virtual human into what could be a virtual influencer. So if you take your character, you start to share it online, either directly as yourself or with a team of writers and producers, the virtual human becomes the virtual influencer of the future. And I'm not speaking about theory here. I'm speaking about Proof, you know, there's virtual influencers that have tens of millions of followers now that are fully virtual characters with teams writing entire captions behind them and driving their stories forward. And to me, that's very disruptive when you consider the ongoing trend of virtualization of everything. It inevitably says to me that we will all express ourselves through avatars someday. And a certain top percentage of them will be the most influential and known. I believe over the next two decades, three decades, we're going to see some Kim Kardashian-level avatars in the world. We're in this new age of identity is shifting, where you don't have to necessarily be yourself online. You can be yourself through a pseudonym, or you can be you and a team. That actually means a lot, because if you have certain social anxieties, or you have limitations about how you look, the freedom to express yourself 
without having to disclose your identity to get a point across, get a message across. That's actually a very huge value add, both for the individual and also for anyone who's maybe suffering from those social anxieties as well. It runs much, much deeper than that, but I view the opportunity to express yourself pseudonymously as an excellent thing for mental health and an excellent thing for privacy. It would be great for people who have social anxiety or who doesn't really want to show like any dimension of themselves, but be true to themselves online through the avatar. So what are the other driving forces for the growth in the U.S. as you see? As anything is driven, two things. Huge innovation of technology. That is a massive driver of growth. The tools to make avatars more frequently, more readily, are becoming way more available. I could go into Zepetto today and I could lead the life of an influencer. Those tools are free, accessible, useful within minutes. I could even post that content on other platforms and I would meet the definition of an avatar influencer using those tools because they are democratized now. The second thing that creates massive shift is market movements. There's this huge, huge push to the virtualization of everything. As I was mentioning earlier, we're prepping up, gearing up for augmented reality to really hit the macro wave in the next five years. And that said, everything is going to have a virtual layer on top of it. So there's a lot gearing up for that in the form of AR kits, right? Snap is pushing this, Apple is pushing this. A lot of teams are developing a lot of new technologies that's then pushing the influence of the market. You see incredible adoption of avatars animation in the East, but we're waiting for that to occur in the West now. And I also know that VTubers as a whole are growing in popularity in the West. And so all things considered, the rise of the avatar, the rise of anime as well is what's pushing it. And that's a market movement. So the pairing of tech and the market both growing, that's really what's making it more popular in the West. Last thing is kids drive trends. Kids are raised on Roblox, on Minecraft, on Fortnite. Those kids in 10, 15, 20 years will be young adults and adults, and they are driving trends. So it's only going to continue to increase in popularity because the alpha generation, as it's called, I believe, the next generation to come, it's not like we're suddenly going to shut off Roblox or shut off Fortnite and they're just going to go away. Our kids are just going to be on more virtual experiences, more connected experiences. And as a result, it's going to shockwave through culture in the form of the increased virtualization of everything. One of our coworkers kind of mentioned this. Every avatar thrives to be a character. We view avatar as a kind of more realistic representation of yourself in the physical reality. So if it kind of looks like you and if it kind of you know, portrays your personality characteristics, we call it an avatar. And if it's a kind of distinguishable, uh, if there's a distinguishable characteristic assigned to this particular avatar, that may not be the real representation, like a one-to-one representation of yourself. It could be a very fictional character. There are no, like a source of the, the representation exists. And if it's a recognizable, that kind of distinguished characteristic is recognizable, we call it a character. So we found out that a lot of our users actually have multiple characters under the same account. So meaning I can have like five different characters under the same account. And if we think about the reality, extroverted, introverted, like I'm kind of borderline, like 49, 51, and it kind of changes every time I do it. Meaning there's some extroverted side of me and there's some very introverted side of me. There's some kind of shy side of me. There's some more kind of wild side of me. Then how do we, how do we express this side of us? And when we have to rely on the camera and only, you know, the images that are captured through camera, should we have to kind of rely on camera to represent our personalities? 
And it could drive you to become someone who's not like your real self. You can find that discrepancy between your real world character and then persona you created in your social media, for example. Like if our identity is not just one as a whole, but kind of, it could be kind of fractional. What would it feel like to become different race, living in different regions, speaking different languages? And you can uh, have some vicarious experience through those type of engagement too. Yeah, so it made me very, very excited because then I can choose my race, my sexuality, and also my look, taller or shorter, etc. So it's actually opened a lot of a lot of door from my like self-expression. So it's really, really interesting. So I wanted to come back to the driving forces, as we mentioned, is something that is actually more developed in East rather than in the West. And a lot of things is actually flowing from the East to the West this time. So Caroline, what is the growth driver in China, other than the things that Christopher has mentioned? My kids, they are 10 and 8. So they are also playing Minecraft and they're also learning coding and Roblox. So definitely kids. But from what I see right now in the market, I think definitely is the commercial value that is driving the development of metaverse, like brands and marketers. And I think that since this technology, although it's already existed, but then it's still not yet that common to billions of people that not anyone can create a 3D avatar version of themselves. So it's mostly used in the context of an influencer. And the growth of virtual influencer live streamer VTubers on platforms like Bilibili is growing exponentially in the past, just the past year or past two years. There's a tension in what brands that try to stay constant and, you know, in whatever the brands should stand for and versus the limitless potential of what these virtual influencers can do in the virtual space. Because literally it's uncharted territory and they also come in many different forms. For example, the Luo Tian Yi, okay, that she's more in the form of Japanese anime. But recently, for example, on the Taobao uh, Tmall platform, there is a relatively newer virtual influencer called the Liu Yexi. So Liu Yexi is more, it's different. So like, and then she is more you know, representing the beauty category. So at least what, what she's like built to. And Ima, although she's coming from the West, but then, or Japan, but she's still more international, but not China made. But she still has quite some you know, awareness and followers. So I think like to you guys' question you were discussing, you know, the definition of avatar and character, virtual humans, in China is mostly used as influencer. So as an influencer, it's more about, you know, the persona that you build behind these virtual humans. Whether is it like a fashionista or is it like a singer? So that it makes more sense when brands want to collaborate with them. Because brands have some part of the brand DNA that they need to stay constant and persistent. So it's all about the life story and data that you build behind that gives us a value that why brand will choose a particular influencer, virtual influencer to collaborate with. So I think the commercial side of things is really a driving force in virtual humans and in China. Yeah, the importance of building character is very relevant for brands as well, because like whenever brands wanted to hire a celebrity or a spokesperson, one of the things that they wanted to do is to borrow the image. So other than the ritual, other than the excitement factors that characters or the avatars or even a real human inferences can bring, 
is not just about how they look or how how much people they can reach through them, but also because it is relevant to my brand or the story that I wanted to build. But I've got a very interesting point from Christopher's LinkedIn profile that I think he mentioned about glance value that virtual influencers can bring. So Christopher, do you think the glance value will go down or decline as time goes by? Yeah, absolutely. Glance value is this idea of the visual appeal of something in the first moment that you see it. The glance value of something has a spark to it. In regards to glance value in feeds now, virtual influencers and these virtual beings have high glance value in relation to everything else that someone is scrolling past. So when you scroll past three photos of humans and then you see a virtual human, it catches your eye. But now with TikTok, Reels, Instagram Explore feed, everything is of high glance value. Everything. You're looking like a box of gems when you look at the Discover feed. And so the highest glance value items in a feed win because they draw you in longer, which informs the algorithm to show it to more people. Instagram is constantly telling us to judge the book by its cover, to be glancing. Even Snapchat, a platform that we work on heavily. However, we know in the analytics that the first 0.7 seconds is the highest drop-off point because someone is flicking, flicking, flicking. And at 0.7 seconds is when they've interpreted if they want to keep watching or not. So the higher glance value you can create in the first 0.7 seconds of content, the higher chance you will see that they will keep watching and then watch to the end. And now that everything is becoming of increased glance value, there's this competition happening where there was always going to be a strategy to have greater glance and greater allure. And you have to really think about what the effects of that is. Like, what does that mean for content in 10 years? Is it just going to be someone screaming into the camera to get your attention? Like, what will it actually look like? Is it just more art implemented to catch your attention, more emotion? All I know is that virtual humans have incredible glance value at the moment. That might be waning with the increase of virtual content, and I do see it decreasing, but there will always be something that captures you more than something else. And speaking of virtual content, so let's talk about creator economy. So Jay, you mentioned about how Metaverse is a great place for consumer or people like us that we wanted to like create or show our creativity online. Can you talk about what is the role of brand change in that contest versus the traditional social media? Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, for example, like 20 years back, maybe people, when they think about celebrities, they're referring to kind of movie stars and, you know, TV celebrities, right? But now when we think about celebrities, you include like Charlie DiMaggio or all these kind of social media, you know, personalities. So the pool of celebrities got expanded. The same thing is happening in the fashion design and kind of, you know, creative realm. Like, you know, the pool of movie directors, pool of fashion designers, are getting expanded thanks to this advance of, you know, 3D technologies, easier creation tools and distribution tools. So I think the brand, when they think about kind of getting into the metaverse, they should view this from a kind of niche economy perspective. You know, people are looking for something more unique. And for example, if you go to a flea market, maybe, you know, the more younger generation, other than getting a Levi's jeans, the same looking things, they may be more interested in kind of upcycle like one and only jeans right in front of them. People have various demands and various preferences. And the reason Zapato decided to open up a creator studio, letting anyone create their own fashion design, 
was not a, like a kind of strategic choice to evolve as a, as a platform, but it was more like a, we couldn't literally keep up with all these various demands. People are asking more and more, and we have only limited people internally who can create those 3D designs. So we have to have it cross-sourced. So I think, you know, brands have been collaborating with celebrities, right? Like Kanye West and Louis Vuitton or Adidas, Adidas or all those kind of collaborations. I think they could view it from, uh, from this angle. If there were only kind of 10 people, 10 celebrities they used to collaborate with, they want to do that collaboration with hundreds and thousands and 10,000 and, you know, tapping the niche market. I was just thinking, you know, how brands used to have guidelines and all that. So when they collaborate with an influencer or a celebrity or cross over with another brand, they, they still manage to stay what the brand is supposed to be because of these guidelines. So every brand has guidelines, especially those very long time existing ones. For example, Disney, Mickey Mouse, like very rigid guidelines in how they appear and how they interact with other IPs. But when this like metaverse and virtual reality and virtual humans exploding, the possibility is just so limitless. I'm just wondering if brands are actually ready to get into the game. There's no playbook. There's no guideline for these kind of things because th these are all so new. So if, for example, if a brand is collaborating with a virtual influencer in a live streaming, so if that virtual influencer is like changing outfit every three seconds and farting as a as the next interaction so is brand okay with that you know so it's very exciting because it's the possibility is really limitless and i think whoever you know whichever brand that be the first one to successfully actually you know tap into this metaverse virtual humans and successfully gain more brand love from gen z like really kudos to that but it's also a very risky game because there's no playbook there's no guideline for brands going to this realm yet Chiming in from that kind of risk perspective, I think, you know, we can view this from a few it from this angle. You know, brands have been working with, with celebrities to, you know, turn, make them a kind of model for, you know, their brands, right? And Korea, for example, if these celebrities get in, get in trouble, it could be their personal trouble. It could be a, maybe a drug problem or other like sex scandals, whatever the case may be. Uh, if there's any issue that kind of rise up and then the brands get, brands are freaked out. Right. Because they don't want to associate their brand images with that certain personalities. So I think that the risk perspective, it may be even safer to you know, work with the virtual personalities than the real world personalities. Yeah, true that. We are the one to create so we can decide how these virtual humans will behave. It's also the challenge for content creators. So, for example, like I am in a position to create this piece of content that use as uh, virtual humans but then, so for my creative team to create this content, so that becomes the question. What, what is it that this virtual humans is allowed to, let's say, interact with the product? Is she supposed to eat it? Can she play with it? Can she like do some like virtual tricks and turn it into a dinosaur? So all that is, what I meant is risky is because it's uncharted area. And it's also like, I can imagine difficult for the marketers to brand owners to decide what is acceptable how far is acceptable because if you have the opportunity to do a campaign with virtual humans like you said it's unlimited like uh, limitless possibility you won't want to do something that is very boring you won't want to do something that is just the same as using a real human in the advertising you want to do something that is like wow never seen before but then you know so what is 
the line because in the old days, in the good old analog days, <laughs> it's very simple and clear because there's a guidebook. That guidebook can exist for decades, for a hundred of years. You can still apply. But right now, the game is changing. So I think the brand or agency like us also needs to update. You know how the brand behave or exists or interact in the virtual world. That there just isn't such playbook yet. So that allows more room for creativity, but also the brand stay consistent. But then there's room to expand that creativity in the virtual world. So I think this is the uncharted area. Right. So speaking of creativity, since I have like three brilliant brains here. So how do we market product in the metaverse and virtual space? Thinking about brands like us that we sell physical and consumable products. That what kind of value that we can bring to the people in the metaverse, and how can we translate that kind of like very aspirational, interesting, creative ways of storytelling into a real life? Yeah, it's such a tricky question. We're talking about how do you market in the metaverse at the core. To me. There's people who are bought into the metaverse in certain ways, and so it really depends on what you want to achieve. So there's different tiers of involvement. You know, you could go like the Adidas route, which where they went all in on NFTs in a genuine way, and they got in early, and so they staked themselves in probably one of the most genuine ways, right, in the metaverse. Yet then you see people who are reactively marketing, almost taking an anti approach. Like Heineken launched a virtual beer where there's no beer, right? Like that was their play on the metaverse, but The funny thing about that was they weren't marketing to people who like the metaverse. They were marketing to people who think the metaverse is a joke. They were marketing to people who don't know what the metaverse is, and so they used the metaverse as an anti-marketing campaign where they pushed those ads on television and on TV. Everyone's like, "Oh, would you look at that? The metaverse where there's no beer." It hit somebody, but it was still the metaverse at the core, right? So marketing with the metaverse is what more brands are doing than not. Most are marketing, yeah, around the metaverse. They're not marketing in the metaverse. I see a lot of great brands on Zepetto, for instance, or for instance Nike, who acquired CloneX, which is an NFT, a very successful NFT project. All of these various brands are taking different stabs at it. Some of which are being very genuine, intentional, long term. Others are showing their cards and saying, "Yeah, we really don't know what we're doing here, but we're going to talk about the metaverse for a moment." And they think they're being funny, and this isn't. Specifically, calling out Heineken, I'm calling out a swath of brands here. Right? Look at the metaverse. They don't understand it, but they say to their team, "What's our metaverse strategy?" And then, as a result, you get these gimmicky advertising campaigns. But in truth, before the metaverse hype, I wish I could take a time machine, go back three years, and really look at which brands are involved in gaming, which brands are creating virtual experiences. So you have to recognize which demographic you're going after. You're either in the metaverse or you're out of the metaverse, and you can still use the metaverse to hit a demographic. But you have to be very real with yourself. If you're trying to fall on the fence of making fun of the metaverse just to tap in, be ready to not get accepted by those who are within the metaverse, right? So it's everyone's game right now. There are so many things that are coming up every now and then. So many new tech, so many new ways to market. So how brands should keep up and decide what new tech they should be investing or not, and tips for brands that they should be doing now versus later. For me, it's a lot about conversion, right? At the end of the day, we all know that there's KPIs, there's goals to be met. So, what is the best way, right? So, like new things, yes, they are cool, they are shiny, they they create novelty, it will get you awareness. But at the end of the day, is how this piece of the tech or new things blend into the entire 
marketing plan or activation plan in the consumer journey that at the end will go to conversion. So at the end, destination is you want people to buy your product. So for me, all these kind of new things, tech or trends, it needs to find a way to fit into the social or e-commerce cycle. Otherwise, no matter how new and how interesting it is, it has nothing to do with you. It doesn't mean that you need to chase all new things. What is the KPI? You know how these pieces of new things fit into the activation plan, and more importantly, how it fits into the entire social e-commerce cycle. Otherwise, it's not going to reach to conversion. Yeah, I think for brands, sometimes they wanted to start the journey earlier so that they are not missing out. So that's why they are always constantly chasing for、um, the new things or what's going on in the market, so that they are not left behind or missing an, a great opportunity. But still, I think it is important to be very, very clear on the objective or what are we trying to achieve, so that it is not just like blindly chasing for the shiny things. So think about what we have discussed today. As a foresight podcast, we wanted to ask you about what makes you most excited about the future. The future—that's a big question, right? There's a lot coming. I have my head in virtual spaces a lot.、Uh, no pun intended. I'm not wearing VR all the time, but I'm thinking about these things a lot. I say this a lot to a lot of people, but I think—and I have for years now—but I think what Jay is working on with Zepetto is actually a testament to the future existing today. Like it really, genuinely, to me, is a representation of the future, which is why I'm so excited about Zepetto. Just if you think about it, everything that we're doing offline is moving online in some capacity. And that said, video games that are MMORPGs, these massively multiplayer online role-playing games, represent what's to come for society as a whole in virtual space, right? Where the world is gamified, where your connections are avatar-centric, where your goods are virtual. And where you're making money in new ways off of this entire economy, and so game economies and game theory and avatar social networks are what I'm most excited about for the future. Well, I'm excited about how future will be for my kids because if they are already doing creating so many contents, I don't even know what they're doing on Minecraft. So imagine how their life will be. But as um. Old school、uh, person like me, like from my generation, I think it's also important to remind the next generation of those very basic human values in this very fast changing world of you know digitalization. So like sometimes I I worry if the next generation is going to lose itself because. You know, there's so many different expression of yourself is becoming available. So I'm excited and worried at the same time for the next generation. Our generation can have some worries toward the younger generation, but for them, as soon as they were born, they saw the iPad and they just lived and breathed in you know social media. And some of the kids spend a lot of time on Roblox or gaming platform more than. YouTube, Instagram combined. So I think if we believe that what they're doing is not just being a passive player, I'm interested in this movement that we're redefining the notion of play. 
Because traditionally, when people think about play, like video gamer, you know, player, then some negative connotations were always there. Like you're wasting your time, you know, go to the school and go get an MBA to get a, you know, executive position, stuff like that. But in the metaverse, because things are virtual, to become a fashion designer, to become a movie director, you don't have to get professionally trained at two-year, four-year school, or you know, you have to work for that companies. So I think making things more accessible to younger generations and you know empowering them to get on this journey from from a player to the content creator and eventually to the entrepreneurs i'm pretty uh, hopeful about this bright future as the metaverse is still being built people like caroline christopher and jay have been thinking about the possibility and potential risk that it brings for a long time it's not just a place or places that connect people together with rich content and immersive experience. It is also a space that's shifting the power dynamic, unleash people creativity, and could be a great platform to be your true self or multiple personality with your digital avatars. As for business, it means that there are gaps in capability. Many brands have already started to experiment in the space, and this is going to change people's expectations on how brands connect with them. While there are many possibilities and exciting things could happen in the metaverse, without any guidebook, it is really up to us to shape and co-create how the metaverse could look like for our future generations. Thank you for listening. This is Lian. See you next time in The Future Imagined. Until then, stay curious. If you enjoy our show, be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player so you don't miss new episodes. And if you can, a five-star Apple review goes a long way to help us connect with other curious thinkers like yourself, and we really appreciate it. The views expressed on this podcast are that of the show's creators, the foresight leaders within Mars Wrigley, and don't necessarily reflect the views of Mars or other employers. Future Imagined is a production of Stories Bureau, produced by Elisa Manjares, with editing and sound design by Matha de Leon. <laughs>